Welcome everyone to Coalesce on Common Ground. Today I have an amazing guest, Jean Kent, who is a director of a training program that influences thousands of lives, like tens of thousands of lives. And a few years ago, he ended up putting into the curriculum or choosing to put into his curriculum a program called Life Mastery. So here they do all of this training in regards to the actual skills required to do the job in his industry. And then he folded on on top this program of Life Mastery that's really looking at um, personality identification, like what kind of personality do you have and what do others have and how do those different personalities work together in the workforce? resiliency, time management, how you can walk in somebody else's shoes to really create much more of a unified and um, better system for people to work together. And I found it fascinating to hear from somebody that was impacting so many thousands of lives, what this may look like and how he ended up bringing this into his program and the outcomes he is seeing by implementing this. Because me personally, I think it's such a great idea. So I want you to come on in, coalesce with me and my conversation with Jean and listen in on what it looks like to weave in the behind the scenes stuff that's happening for all of us when we enter a workplace. Enjoy everyone. Okay. So Jean, I'm getting back to you. I was actually... On the podcast, um, and I want to just ask you, like, first off, kind of give me an opener of what is your position and the organization you work for. Speak from your terms, because I could say it from my side, but I'll let you introduce yourself. Okay. So uh, I'm the training director of IBW NECA Technical Institute, which is the apprenticeship school or training trust fund for IBW Local 134, and the Electrical Contractors Association of Chicago. So we train all of the apprentices that come through our program, and then we provide continuing education for journey persons, you know, uh, later in their careers, or, you know, create new curriculum for changing technologies, new technologies, or as as processes change. So we basically train, train the unionized electrical industry in the Cook County geographical area. Okay, so set the stage here, and I told you I was going to do this to you, when you even talk about, let's go, apprentices, because there's apprentices and then there's journey workers, how many people are we talking about? How many lives are you really touching coming through your program? So in the apprenticeship currently right now, we have about 1,300 active apprentices from first year to fifth year. Uh, Our journeyman numbers on the construction side or a card are about 6,000 to 7,000 members. So those are our journey persons on the communication side. We have about 2000 journey persons out in the field. So, you know, anywhere from about 11 to 13,000 people um, were kind of responsible for providing training for not all those journey persons come back for continuing education, but uh, they have that ability to. Yeah. So we're talking about quite a few lives here that you have an impact on. And especially because I would guess most of those 13,000 that you'd mentioned have probably come through the apprenticeship program at some point. 
I would say 95% of those 13,000 have, yes, come through the apprenticeship. Okay, awesome. So you're setting the stage there. Also set the stage, what was it like getting into the position you're at now? Or what was your journey like to be in the position, being the director of an organization that touches 13,000 lives? So um, I started as an apprentice. Um, The reason I started as an apprentice, uh, coming out of high school, I, I was highly pressured to go to college uh, by my parents who my dad's a union carpenter. My mom's a nurse uh, who went back to school later in life. You know, I was a a young teenager when she put herself through nursing school. So, you know, definitely middle-class working middle-class upbringing and just was raised in that household that at the time, you know, we're going back to, you know, I graduated high school in 94. College was your only route to success, you know, to be able to do anything with your life. And that was a story from my mom and dad. And I always questioned that. You know, I always had a lot of respect for my father being a carpenter and what his skills and abilities were. And it was always something I enjoyed. I would help him. I, you know, you know, we would work in the basement. I would, you know, hammer away on, you know, wood and nails and all kinds of different stuff and just really enjoyed working with my hands. But he didn't, I don't, I don't feel like he ever really truly respected his abilities. And so he thought he was less than, you know, you know, he was a lower class person or something like that because he worked with his hand. I never thought that. And you know, at the time there's a lot of pressure. I was 18 turning, you know, him and I weren't seeing eye to eye. Oh, interesting. Okay. You know, it was, you know, it was just that time where I was, you know, Teenager. becoming a, a grown up. And so my mom kind of, you know, hinted like, Hey, it's probably a good idea if you go away to college, because I'm not sure how long, uh, he'll let you live in the house kind of thing, you know, kind of that like <laughs> mom, son talk. I said, okay, well I'll go to college then, you know, And uh, so I went to a year at Northern Illinois University and uh, I enjoyed it tremendously. I didn't have the motivation to study in all of my classes. So I only lasted a year there. Uh, Came back, you know, a 19 year old uh, defeated, if you will, by that. Uh, Even though I didn't have the motivation, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So there was no reason for me to really be there. So when I came home, got some odd jobs. Um, told my dad I was going to be a carpenter. And he said, Nope, no, you're not going to be a carpenter. Uh, if you're going to do anything in the trades, you should go be an electrician. And I actually had, you know, went to Northern to, to go through their electrical engineering program. Uh, it had, it interested me. I figured, well, I guess that aligns, you know, it makes sense. So I did, I registered for the apprenticeship. I got in, you know, three months later and I was an apprentice at 20 years old. From that point uh, on, from, I mean, day one, I loved everything about being an electrician, Uh, doing what we did, learning about what we, what we do and how to do it uh, through my entire apprenticeship, just absolutely loved it. Um, And in my whole time, the 20 years that I spent out in the field, loved every single day of it. Um, When my, so during that apprenticeship, I got married, uh, started having a family. And when my 
my son, my oldest son was one years old, I went back to school. And so I went to a community college, uh, got my associates, you know, went on to IIT to get my undergrad, um, you know, and because college wasn't going to beat me, you know, and I always had that in the back of my head that, okay, well, um, and one of the reasons I picked a union trade is that I never wanted to ask my parents to support me or help me go back to school. And I knew that I was going to make enough money that I could support myself and, you know, at some point go back and finish college. So that was one of the driving forces of doing that as well. Um, so that's why, you know, when my son was one, he's, he's uh, 17 now, he'll be 18 this year. So 17 years ago, I started my, restarted my college journey. Um, so after 19 years, and, you know, as an electrician, and, you know, I went through the ranks, apprentice, you know, all the way up through supervision. Uh, I had actually created a little house for myself, a little home at one facility. I was there probably 13 years, uh, pretty much straight. And it just got boring uh, doing the jobs because I had basically done everything twice, if not three times in the building with new new machines and, you know, additions and changes and remodels. Um, so it was becoming relatively boring to me. And for a few years at that point, I had been going to uh, union meetings and participating in all that kind of extracurricular stuff with the union. And I felt, you know, it, it might be time for me to give back to the union, the, the members of the union, the industry, because it had given me so much. You know, I had, you know, had a, a great wife with three children at that point. And, you know, I'm like, wow, this industry really gave a lot to me. And I wanted to try to, you know, give back to that industry. And so I asked to be a teacher. I, you know, inquired about being a teacher and they hired me, you know, uh, as soon as they hired me at like three months in, I realized I was an electrician and not a teacher. And so I was like, wow, I should go back to school and learn how to teach or, or at least sharpen those skills. You know, I, going through our program as an apprentice and then a JW, you learn how to teach people. It's, it's part of the apprenticeship model is that, you know, just working side by side with somebody, you know, somebody's a teacher or a mentor and somebody's a student, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody with more time or more experience is always the teacher. Sometimes that individual with less experience becomes the teacher. And I really enjoyed that dynamic over the years. And, um, you know, but I did realize that, you know, uh, skill set wise, I needed a little extra support. So I went back, got my master's in curriculum design. And then through that, towards the end of that process, my predecessor was in the process of retiring. You know, he had, he had been running the program for 22 or 23 years. And he knew that in order to pass the baton, if you will, you need to bring that person up. You need to mentor that person. So he put it out there to, to the industry, to the, the committee, you know, I'm going to be retiring in a couple of years. It's probably a good time to identify somebody that, you know, would take my place. And so when that happened, I put my name in the ring right away and, you know, they picked me to be his successor. And that was five years ago now, um, you know, and, and, and through, 
through all of that, um, through the process of being selected and going through, you know, interviews and all that and getting the job, I had a, a, a recollection as an apprentice walking through, uh, the hallways one day, just a flashback memory of, of seeing, uh, Dr. Donahue and be like, you know, in another so many years, I think I could do that job. It was one of those things that it was a fleeting thought at the time in recollection now and, and having gone through that process, I sometimes wonder if it wasn't meant to be. So I guess that's how and why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. That felt potent when you were sharing that. Yeah. Well, it is. And, you know, it's because uh, I get to do some pretty cool stuff now. You almost had this flash as an apprentice thinking like I could do that one day. Did you ever think that was going to come true or did it just flash going to go by? Did you have anything where you're like, I mean, that's crazy. I don't know. Did you have anything like that at the time? At the time? No, It, it was a flashback memory, you know, after being selected that, you know, I was like, wow. And I, I can even put myself in the corner of the hallway when I had that memory, whether it's a real memory or not, I, you know, who knows, right. Our minds always play tricks, tricks on us. Um, but there, I do have a feeling that there was something, you know, of speaking it into existence, if you will, or, or something like that, you know, and especially now with all the stuff that I've been doing and have, have had the opportunity to learn about, you know, I definitely think that's one of the things that we have the ability to do as humans. And that's one of the reasons for creating the life mastery curriculum is that if we can educate people on the the better ways to think and you know the to to control our mind and our thoughts with intention, I think that it will help people in the long run. And it's it's one of those things that's not taught. It's not a traditional curriculum. It's not a traditional way of even thinking. You know, there's a lot of people that uh, think some of the stuff that I talk about is, you know, wishy-washy and garbage and gobbledygook or whatever you want to call it. And that's fine because it is, it's leading edge. And I know that. And the, you know, thinking you have control over your future through your thoughts, it's witchcraft to a lot of people. Well, I'm glad we're the same type of people then, because I always say, like, I'm a futurist. I'm off thinking that we can create the future, too. Uh So I'm with you, Gene. Before we get even to the Life Mastery curriculum that we're going to be talking about, so Dr. Donahue, you came in knowing that you were going to be taking over for Dr. Donahue at some point. What was the journey like? How did you start to see that your vision, because I think every time a leader becomes in their own footing, when you become your own leader, like there's going to be a shift in the way that leader sees the world. Like, what was that like being like, hey, I've got as Gene, I've got Gene's vision here that's different than Dr. Donahue's. What did you have any of that going on? What was that like? I did. I had a, I had a year with Dr. Donahue of, you know, him mentoring me, kind of walking me through and um, kind of letting me lead from, you know, from with him in the, in the back, you know, kind of supporting me. He had already created this great school by walking into that and knowing that the school was a solid foundation. It was, it allowed me to think of, or to worry about something different. 
You know, I knew it was if if I could, if I just took his model, I could probably walk it to retirement and not change anything or not do anything. And everybody would think, wow, this is still a great program. But I didn't want to do that. You know, we try to use the model with apprentices in here, especially at, you know, local 134 and with ECA contractors of, you know, leave it better than you received it, you know, or take care of it better than you were given it. You know, I tell the apprentices, I, I use this in all my talks and whatnot, is that the people that came before us in this union movement in Local 134, in this partnership with the Electrical Contractors Association, have built us this golden pathway, you know, and we're walking a pathway somebody else created for us. You know, we're being paid our hourly rate is because of somebody else in our past, because they fought to get a pay raise or to get job conditions. You know, and this is the union movement everywhere across the country and the world, really. We have the working conditions today because of somebody else. We didn't earn these working conditions. We didn't fight for the working conditions we have today. Somebody else did. We're actually fighting. And what I tell people is we're fighting for the working conditions of the generation after us, you know, and it might be the apprentices, you know, that are coming in right now that our age group is fighting for, you know, or, or the movement, the union movement is working for now, right. Is that so many 20 years is going to benefit. Um, you know, we're, we're working with our benefit plans to change and upgrade them and try to keep them as solvent as possible or, or better for the people behind us. And yes, currently we, we definitely get some benefit from what we're doing, but the reality is we're paving the next road. Mm -hmm. You know, we're putting the foundation down for expanding that roadway. And that's what I wanted to do with the school when I took over is take this awesome thing and make it better. That year with Dr. Donahue allowed me to consider some of what that might be uh, because I had his support and, you know, that's where the life mastery curriculum kind of was born and developed. How else could this school be better? You know, it was always great or already great because of Dr. Donahue, what would be the next level? And that, that allowed me the ability, the foundation he created allowed for that expansion, if you will. So since we've mentioned it several times, will you give me a brief synopsis and we're going to go into this further. What is Life Mastery, that curriculum that you brought to the apprenticeship program, the training program? Sure. So the Life Mastery curriculum, it basically uh, begins with personality identification and uh, understanding. So we currently use the Four Lenses program for identifying personalities. Uh, we kick that off. That's the first night. And then not only do they get to see what their personality preferences are, we the specific point that we try to make in the training is to understand everybody else's perspective. And one of the big key components of the whole life mastery curriculum is to think maturely about the world that you're engaging. You know, and that, that could be just your husband or your wife. It could be your children. It could be your coworkers. It could be a one-on-one -on -one thing. It could be you on a group of people, you know, depending on what that means to you in the moment. But to, to look at life or other people in an engagement and try to look through their lens because we're all having our own experience 
and we have that experience through our own filters. And that filter for everybody is different. Everybody grew up differently. Everybody experienced life differently. Um, and unfortunately, we look, we see the world through that filter. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Uh, but when you're engaging another person, what we try to teach them uh, kind of from an emotional intelligence perspective is try to look at or talk to those people the way they want to be treated and not the way we want to be treated. And it's nice, you know, treat people like you want to be treated is, is a good perspective. But the reality is not everybody wants to be treated the same way I want to be treated. You know, I might be okay being talked to a certain way where somebody else would find that offensive. And so we want to expand that understanding, that knowledge in our apprentices and our journey persons to start to identify and communicate with people through what they want to be or how they want to be communicated to. Uh, so that's the kickoff. Then we go into, you know, resiliency, um, time management. We do a little financial uh, training with them, time management and uh, goal setting, kind of understanding people's personalities. And then how do you take your life and manage your own life? You know, what do you want to do in the world? You know, what do you want to, what's, and, and when you pass on, what do you want to leave behind? We try to, you know, try to get them to plan backwards from that. Um, which is fascinating. How does that go? It's, uh, far it's forward. like I said, a lot of people think this is witchcraft and, you know, uh, <laughs> things like that. So we're getting a lot of great feedback. Uh, we definitely, it's, you know, we're still, there is a, a percentage of them that, you know, are there just because they have to be there and they're, they're not taking anything away from it. Everybody at some point in their life is going to go through some pretty crappy times. And one of the reasons, or one of the motivating factors of why I tried to develop this curriculum or why I did develop it is that I worked with a lot of great electricians, you know, when I was an apprentice and coming up electricians that, that could put jobs together and do things that were amazing that I learned from phenomenal electricians, but they didn't have their life put together outside of work. Um, they had multiple divorces. They were heavy drinkers or drug addicts, or I had one awesome person, great guy who taught me how to be an apprentice, had lost his way with his own son. As far as I know, still is not talking to his son to this day. Back then, the, his son was only like seven years old. And just, he couldn't figure out how to engage his son's mother in a way that allowed a good relationship or a good rapport with his son. And so it was damaged and he gave up on it. Just stuck me in the heart that whole time is had he had the ability to be resilient and, and look at life, that engagement through the other person's lens, maybe he would have a great relationship with his son today. So that's, that's one of the driving forces for this, you know, for motivating and or creating this is that watching people have a difficult time in those difficult areas of their life, you know, and, and having a lack of resiliency and, or a lack of ability to see the other side, the other person's perspective and just saying, you know what, screw this. I'm just going to cut it off and we're done. I can't say that everybody should stay together or not get divorced, but you can you can have a, a decent relationship through it and have respect for each other, you know, going through those processes. And it helps you on the back end come out on the right side of it so that everybody can have a healthy 
existence moving on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and something that we had talked about, even talking before, I in my legal days, I worked with quite a few apprenticeship programs on the scholarship loan agreements where if a student ended up getting terminated out of a program, I would be brought on to go after that person to pay for some of the schooling in certain situations. And when I would be looking at these files, it was like dominoes falling where I could actually track the dominoes. And it was almost always like, did a divorce get filed? And once a divorce was filed, an OWI might have showed up or DWI, depending on where you're at. Then pretty soon they're falling behind in the apprenticeship program or not coming to work on time. They're struggling in classes and then they're kicked out of the program. And it, it might have come in different orders, but it was like the ultimate or like an OWI hit first, then struggling in the program, then a divorce. It was like these trifecta that I saw over and over and over again. And for me as a person, I had this bleeding heart of like, man, and I think this is so interesting of what, why I'm so interested in what you do is like, could we get in front of these people? Because there's, like a handful of people that really go off the edge, like drive their car off the cliff and don't know how to get back. And they're good people. Mm-hmm. They're just going through a time, right? Absolutely. And then there's also people that don't drive all the way off the cliff, but they're struggling and we could make them stronger as well. What was it in the beginning when you were, because you had to pitch this to all these different stakeholders, these boards, probably Dr. Don on you, everyone, leaders, your instructors. What was it that you were thinking about that really impacted you where you're like, this should be part of our curriculum? I had gone to uh, a program called Landmark. It was a three-day intensive program, kind of a self-help, or uh, they did a really good job of switching the perspective of the world for me. The power of choice came out of that, and and they did an amazing job of making me have this epiphany of like, oh, I'm choosing all of this. Like whatever's happening here has been my choice the whole way through. Like, and and then I started, as I started researching and doing more reading on all this, you know, stuff, I started practicing some of this stuff in my life and realized, oh, it's, this is really happening. You know, whenever, uh, you know, for example, if my wife and I, when I would be getting irritated, you know, and like there was just something, there was a, just a friction, some for some little thing, and we've never had major problems. So that's, I'm blessed in that. But it's like, man, what is going on here? Well, then I started applying some of these principles of choice and ego. And when you remove the ego from an exchange with another person, you go, oh, this is all me. Once you remove that, you're like, oh, I'm expecting something out of this. And the reality is that's where you get the friction is when you expect something that, you know, the other person doesn't know they're supposed to do or, or interact with in a certain way. And it's like, oh, I can choose to do something different here and I'm choosing not to. So it's going bad where when I change that and I was doing that with several of the relationships in my life and interactions and stuff, and it became obvious in my mind and in, in my practice that it's all within myself to fix these things. You know, it's not in the other person necessarily to fix the problems that I think I'm having. And when that happened, that's when I was like, oh my God, this is, this has to happen. Like we have to, we have to develop a program around this or, you know, something like that. I guess I would say that's probably, 
you know, I had an idea of something like that, but when I went through Landmark, that's when it solidified it for me. Yeah. And I've got a funny story that I tell based on what you're talking about is I've got, uh, um, I used to drink sparkling water, but I'm this big person that loves the environment. So I got sick of all the cans. Mm-hmm. So I bought like a sparkling water, like thingy that you make it with. And it's got two bottles and I put them in the fridge and I fill it up and do whatever. And my partner will drink it sometimes. And there was one day that I went to the fridge and I was like, man, every day this week, these bottles have been basically empty in the fridge. So then when I go to them, there's nothing there. So by the time the weekend rolls around or Friday or something, and I was like, what is going on? My partner happens to be in the kitchen and I'm like, hey, could you at least fill up the water bottles? before you put him back and he's like oh, and he starts laughing he's like I haven't had any sparkling water in months and I was like all right so I'm the one right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this eye-opening I love to tell that story because I was like for days Jean I was going through and been like oh my gosh can he just fill up the water bottles like why are they in the fridge and I was just busy and my mind was probably in work or something like that and I was my stress might have been a little bit heightened but here it's like the blame story I was using was against my partner and he had no involvement it was all just a relationship with myself that I was mad at so I I love telling that story to kind of give evidence of what you're talking about it's like we make up these little stories and sometimes it's just just us well, and that's the other thing the Landmark Forum helped with was the idea of stories and these reoccurring stories that we tell ourselves and, you know, the idea of confirmation bias. So we think something that's happening like you did, think it, and now your confirmation bias is like, well, he's taking the sparkling water. <laughs> Must be him. And now you're upset about it. Gene, it could never be me. <laughs> right, exactly. And it all it takes is that little one moment of, bad information on our, on our own part. And, and, you know, you use that confirmation bias and it creates a, a loop of stories. And we do that every day, all the time to ourselves. We create these stories that are not true. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was trying to do in this curriculum is open up people's eyes to the fact that your engagements with another person, good, bad, or indifferent are not the truth. What you're, what you're thinking, even in a good one, why you think it's good is your story as to why it's a good relationship or a good experience. The other person has a completely different story of how that all went. And it's all good and fine when everybody's happy. It's when it's a bad engagement, you know, or a bad experience that then people go into these stories that make it worse. And, you know, they climb up anger mountain. I call it. Ooh, I I like that. I like that metaphor where, um, you know, you're at a baseline and somebody upsets you and you're like, you know, you're, you uptick and not enough time has passed by to get back to baseline. So you're here and then you get mad at them again. Like they took more sparkling water, right? <laughs> they didn't fill up the sparkling water. I'm mad, mad. I'm, I'm okay. A week goes by and then they took more and then they more. And then before you know it, you just blow up because you're up at the top of anger mountain over a story that's not true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's you it's know a good those, those are the things I'm trying to bring to our industry so that they can just you know see the world hopefully as more closer to real or what's really happening, you know, not use the confirmation biases and you know other different bias uh, to make their decisions or how it affects their interactions. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what has been expe- like an experience, a positive experience that's come out of this where you're like, yes, this is making an impact. This is going the direction that you had visioned it's going. Yeah. I mean, we have a plenty of people that have, that we didn't know were having hard times in life that because of this have come back and said it changed their life. Finally doing this or doing that. So we've got a, a bunch of those stories from different apprentices and whatnot. Where as a, a side benefit that I didn't see or it wasn't one of my motivating factors is that when we deal with apprentices now, we are getting better and better at identifying that they're having problems. And it's not um, a skills-based problem or something like that. It's more of a mental issue, a mental block, whether it's depression, anxiety. We as our, our team is doing much, much better at identifying that stuff. Where in the past, you know, apprentices were probably being canceled because they weren't showing up for work. Um, you know, they weren't working very hard or, you know, things like that. So they get fired two or three times and then we would cancel them. Now where we're at with that is we're able to identify the people that are having work issues because of other life situations, you know? So we've, you know, through all this training and stuff, I've got a couple of people that are really good at asking the right questions. Like, why are you not going to work? You know, and that probing, we're able to ask those probing questions because we're looking at it from their lens. Like something's not right here. You, you're not this person that just doesn't show up for work. Why are you not showing up for work? You know, so we've definitely had a, a tremendous amount of people actually our our insurance provider for our mental health has even questioned us in the last year or two. Like, what are you guys doing? Like you have been sending people to us like off the charts. The quantity is off the charts. And like, well, we're just asking the right questions. You know, before these people would be canceled. Now we're saying, hey, you know what? You need to go talk to a therapist. And then they go talk to a therapist and it's uh, night and day. I mean, we've had so many night and day um, situations where somebody goes, we force them to go and they talk to somebody for a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. They come back in. They're like, I didn't know I was depressed. I didn't know I had anxiety. I didn't know that this was the issue. It, you know, it was just how they were acting. And, you know, a lot of times before that we were just canceling them. And now our people are trained enough or uh, emotionally intelligent enough to dig deeper. So that's one of the side benefits that is phenomenal. We're, we're able to get to the root of that. Which I love hearing because I do feel like the more, from my perspective, the more I train myself, on this and I actually put myself through it. Like I practiced it, not just, I don't, logically, I feel like we can learn things, but when I practice it for myself, I could pick up on it on others uh-huh. so much more. And I think that was actually an even bigger gift. It's like, once I found it inside myself, I could always apply it and see it in others, which this brings up another topic that I'm fascinated that you mentioned this is there's quite a stigma. I mean, I represented health funds and the construction trades for years and people were not using the mental health benefits and the therapists that are out there. And I know the world in general is trying to 
deal with mental health and talk about therapy a lot more. Have you seen the stigma start to shift a little bit in what you're doing or is it pretty much behind closed doors? People are acknowledging this. I'm just curious on what you're seeing there, Jean. It's, it's starting to shift. It really is. Um, people are more apt to say, oh yeah, I see a therapist. You know, I, I definitely see a therapist it, and it might even be once a month or something like that. And people are admitting, yeah, oh, it was the best thing I could have ever done. Some of the people don't even have big problems. And I tell people that all the time. Every person should go see a therapist at least once a month or once every two months, just to talk. Even if your life's going great, just go talk, you know, and, and work out your thought process. Not everybody has somebody else they can talk to that can bounce back. You know, a lot of people will want to fix, you know, and that's one of the things, you know, being uh, an intent listener is one of the key components of the curriculum is, you know, trying to teach people to listen, you know, actively listen for what's going on here. That's helped, helped our people get to the root cause of this. See, identify, like you said, they're, they're able to, you know, in a pretty short time, when if I sit with an apprentice, I can say, oh no, this is a situation. Like, all right, we need to get you to a therapist or work with you in a different way. This has nothing to do with your skills. You know, if this is a, a mental situation going on here uh, or pressure, life pressures, you know, people come in and all of a sudden they're unloading on what they're dealing with in the world. And I'm like, well, I would be curled up in a little ball in my basement if I was going through what you're going through. And they're like, really? I'm like, heck yeah, you're going through a lot, you know, and people don't realize how impactful or how difficult some of the situations are that they're going through, they just respond. And it's by not going to work or their head's not in the game at work. And so they're making mistakes, things like that. Them being able to talk to us with an open mind and not judgment uh, is, is helping them tremendously. Okay. So here's my next question on this one is I used to get a lot of pushback in, in, in talking to a lot of leaders to be like, well, once I open that door, like everyone's going to start, like, I don't have enough time to deal with that. Like, I don't know how to do with that. There was this fear of like, when I open the door and allow people to come in and like vent what's going on for them, that would be the term used. I'm using very much like the repeat conversations I had. There was a fear of doing what you're doing. Uh -huh. um, what was it like in the beginning for you even doing that? And then how is it transformed where you're using, obviously there's a conversation, but then you have tools that you send them to like the therapy. Uh -huh. What was that like Jean? Could you speak to that? Because I get that often. If anybody's ever done any reading on emotional intelligence, uh, even if, you know, if you just pick up one of the traditional, like Daniel Golem's book, you know, emotional intelligence and read through it. And then you start, like you said, practice any of the tools that he offers in any one of his books, you quickly realize that it's real, that it, that it's actually fruitful, that it's these steps or these exercises are really good. And my thought on it was, yes, that, that we would unearth, um, you know, a festering wound that would then require all this attention. But I kind of looked at it from the perspective of if we're able to teach them just a few tools it, to deal with some of these difficult times in their life, they won't need that, that uh, it won't be overwhelming demand for those 
those uh, alternate benefits, right? Those tools, like you're saying therapy and stuff like that. That's it's when life builds like the anger mountain, as you go up that anger mountain or depression mountain or whatever you want to call it. And you don't know how to release any of that. And you don't know how to reset yourself with through all those difficulties or hard times or, or even just wandering thoughts. If you don't have the tool to just kind of take a deep breath once in a while, you're going to get to the point where you have to have that. You have to have an acute interaction or, you know, something like that to fix it. Where if we can prevent that, we can keep people back closer to baseline. So they won't need that across the industry. And that was my intention, you know, at the beginning of of thinking about it is like, well, wait, but if we can teach them these tools, then they can do it themselves and self-administer because a lot of them are really good. You don't need a therapist to kind of do a lot of the stuff that we talk about. And, um, you know, I mean, it's simple, simple thing like journaling and writing down every day, what you're thankful for. Um, writing down, creating a list of what you've been through, uh, a list of, you know, what life events do you think have been difficult in your life that you're, you've completed or won over or whatever you want to call that, you know, the challenges in life very quickly, you can get to the point where you're like, wow, I've been through a lot of crap and you have a 100% success rate. And that's Mm -hmm. what I try to talk to them is like, think of all this, your whole entire life. I go, just as a baby, you, you learned to walk. You failed a thousand times as a baby trying to walk. And you've done that your whole entire life. You failed a thousand times already by the time you're 20 years old. But you went and continued on and got through it. And what people don't realize is that they have been through a lot of crap and won every single time just by continuing. It's the fact that they get up that depression mountain or anger mountain or anxiety mountain, and they don't have that perspective. And so I'm trying to offer them that perspective early on so that, you know, those little things don't build and add to each other and that they can keep it a baseline so that when real life problems like a death in the family or an unsuspecting disease hits them, they're at a base baseline to deal with it. You know, and and they have those skills to understand this is something I can get through. So that's where I, I my thought was is that if we can teach them these these easier tools, they won't need all that support across the industry, and it won't be financially impactful to our industry. It'll be a net gain, right? correct? At the end, um, because there's a lot of actual statistics on productivity and how like stress plays into productivity, and you're really getting to the heart of stress here and. Stress is more than just workplace stress. It's life stress that all plays into the workplace. Um, so it's really fascinating. What have you learned or what are you tweaking behind the scenes? Like, Do you have any lessons that you'd be willing to share on implementing this program throughout your uh, institution? And what if another person is thinking of doing it for themselves, what's a lesson you could tell them? It has to be engaging. It has to be obviously be relevant there. You you have to have good stories, all of the old or the tried and true presentation um, recommendations or skill sets for the top presenters that has to be included in it, you know, because the topics can be dry. The topics (laughs) can be, if you don't deliver them properly, will be missed. 
And that's one thing I'm definitely seeing, always trying to change it. So every cycle is different. Every time I deliver it, it's a little different. Uh, I'm always trying to, to either go quicker, dive less deep, skim certain topics a little more rather than I'm a green in, in our color platform. So uh, I like information. I like to dive in. I like to dissect it myself. So when people give me information, that's what I want. There are personalities that don't want information. They don't want to be inundated with all this data and and uh, steps and things like that. So, and that's one of the things that we have learned through this from a teaching perspective. Um, and it, it's in curriculum design and you know proper teaching methods is to teach to the type of learner you have. Well, the reality is they're all mixed in there. We don't have any one type of learner. You have to be able to try to get to all of the types of learners. And some people would prefer a 15-minute conversation and an example and be out the door. Other people would like two, three-hour in-depth, here's the science behind it, here's the data that supports it, here's why. There are other people like, just tell me what to do. Like, <laughs> does it work? Does, do you, does this work? Yes, it works. Tell me how to do it, and I'll go do it. You know, so that's where it is. It's trying to find that happy medium between all the learner types. What we're trying to work with now is trying to find like a TikTok or a media that we can, we'll do the presentations, but then some of the information gets sent to them as quick snippets throughout the year. And so Alex Willis and I have been working on some stuff for quite a while now. We're trying to find a platform almost to create a game and gamify it and have the classes compete against each other or even just individuals compete on a grand scale across this interactive training module. I like that idea because I always say that this really sinks in when it hits for somebody, like when they're going through something. And I like that. And I also say that it's a practice. So it's over long term. It's not a short snippet. Because I'm even working with some that are, I'm talking about this. I was like, roll it out. You have to think of longevity here more than like a one time hit. Because like I said, it's the practice. And the second thing is when you're in it, that's when you actually would love to have those resources. So I love that you guys are thinking of how do you do these little snippets to people. The other piece that I had that I actually find fascinating is I love going into a class and learning from each other to see and witness all the different way of pe ways people learn. Because then I take that out and all the different people that I work with, that I'm working with, I realize like, oh, there's this like classification of people. There's this one. That's a that person. Because I also like a lot of information. I love studying and learning and growing. But not everyone's like that. Right. So I always find, I actually find that dynamic looking in the class and being like, watch Eddie over here. He wants the tidbit and then he wants out. And you have to know that Eddie's on the job site. So that's mm -hmm. fascinating. Love that. Well, and, that's, and the only other recommendation I would have is like, even like you said, the kickoff or the launching personality uh, assessment and interaction training is probably the biggest bang for your buck. Teach people about the personality types and what they prefer and how they prefer it. Because it's that exactly what you're talking about is of the four styles, like the oranges, you know, they're the, the high energy, fun loving get everything done type personality, but they don't like to be inundated with rules and direction 
and information. They just know how to, they innately know how to get stuff done and they want to get to it. Mm-hmm. Like they want to buy in, get them bought in and let them go. You know, you don't want to, Hey, we had another meeting today. You know, those oranges don't like that. Hey, we have to have a meeting every day. Oranges mm-hmm. don't need a meeting every day. You're demotivating that person. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, from a leadership perspective, understanding what motivates your people is probably the most important part of getting the most bang for their buck, you know, or out of their buck, if you will. And I think that's probably one of the key components, if anything, would be to understand personalities and what they want. It's so fascinating. I agree with you, actually. Um, And I think it's fascinating because I remember in my career when this and when I went and started it and how I changed my perspective, because I was just like, well, everyone thinks like me. Mm-hmm. And I was struggling with a team, actually, as a leader. I was struggling taking care of paralegals and assistants because I was like, why are they just not wanting to just go for, you know, like my drive is really high. <laughs> and I was like, I don't get these people. And I would be right. on boards and stuff. And I was like, like, why did one person stop? I was like, there's no stopping until the work's done. Right. So it was just fascinating. Even in my partner, like with my partner, I'll bring up, like if we're cleaning or we're working outdoors, I go into the project's done, Gene. And all of a sudden he's yes. like, well, I'm going to go in now and take a little break. And I was like, wait, what? So yes. it was like, even that. So it's a life skill in every single dimension of having the capacity to look at how everyone's different. So I applaud you for interjecting that in. Mm. Let me ask you, what's next? What's your vision for the future entail? Well, to develop this at the level that all of our JWs would take something like this, you know, to create it in such a way and the right mix of time, content that all JWs come back and and go through this training. You know, that's one of the things that we're seeing from our apprentices like, hey, you need to tell my foreman uh, (laughs) about all this stuff. He needs that or she needs that, you know, and I said, we're getting there. You know, we needed to kick it off here first. And, you know, this is the easiest platform, and, you know, and hopefully by your uh, and I, I tell this to all the apprentices, hopefully by your actions, knowing this, the JWs will be like, hey, maybe I should go do some of this training, you know, and and update my skills in this area because you guys are pretty good at doing what you're doing. Uh, or they'll just retire. And at some point, everybody will be trained in this. So one way or the other, we're going to win. I know that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love that. And, you know, as, as far as the future goes, it, it's just continuous improvement on it, on all of this. Uh, we're trying to, we've started bringing what was the, it sits in fourth year curriculum right now in the fourth year seminars, because it was easy for us to distribute it there. We're starting to do it in first and second year and third year apprenticeships classes now. So we're trying to break it into chunks so that they get to see it for a longer duration. So I'm hoping rather than just one three-hour night talking about personalities, if you know from their first day here through the five years, if we're constantly talking about these topics, it'll be one of those things where it either becomes second nature that they're able to do it or it's more ingrained in their personality. You know, because as I asked these fifth year apprentices, when I see them again, I said, hey, have you guys been using the four lenses? Have you been using some of this, you know, the tools that we gave you? And, you know, 10% of them are like, yeah, yeah, I did that. The other 90%, "Mm, no, Hmm. 
you know, so it's one of those, like, I need to figure out how to teach them and get them to use it mm-hmm. because that's, you know, how learning actually happens is you need to be, you know, you know, shown it and then practice it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think that that gamification or more of a social media platform where I can blast out stuff to them, even if they're just reading it in a continuous basis, you know, and one of the things I've seen in the motivation of our students, if they haven't been through a really bad situation in their life, um, if their life's been relatively easy, they're not engaged, if you will. They think it's gobbledygook. Uh, it's the people that have had that have dealt with depression or anxiety or a f- loss of a family member or a disease. They align with this almost immediately, where the people that have had easy lives don't. And they're like, "My life's great. You know, I'll never need this." You know, mm-hmm. and it's and the younger generation has that. I don't mean generation, but younger people, because maybe they haven't experienced some difficult, really difficult times. They're like, "Well, what do I need to know this for?" You know, and then I feel like the grandpa, well, you know, son, uh, life goes by quick and, you know, you better pay attention the whole way. You know, I feel like a grandfather or a father talking to the young child, like this will go by in a blink of an eye. You know, I, I don't want it to turn into that. So we're trying to figure out a way to, you know, continually have them practice these things. And I wonder what it would be in their world, you know, as a 20 year old or whatever, like what's the difficulty if there was any to be found. That's fascinating. So a question for you that I'm curious about, how do you continue to practice this for yourself? In every aspect, I guess you could say every, I try to with my coworkers, you know, with my family, I mean, I actively try to do this with every person I am in touch with. I try to figure out their personalities and what they want out of life and how they want to be treated. And then I try to do that. You know, I try to, because it's difficult. Like you kind of said with your partners, you don't understand them. And until you fully understand them, you don't know how to motivate them. You don't know how to get the best out of them. And that's, that's where I'm trying to, you know, continually learn from everybody that's in my life. You know, why, why did you do that? You know, so I do a lot of self-reflection on why people do what they do interacting with me, you know, cause I wouldn't have done that. There's no way I would have done that. And it's like, I have to sit back every once in a while before making a judgment and think, well, why did they, why did they act that way? Why did they do that instead of what I expected? So I'm doing constant self-reflection. Yeah. Do you follow up and then ask them why they did that too? Uh, in certain, certain aspects. Yes. You know, and that's one of the things that I've learned to, uh, before all of this, I was terrible at confrontation. I would clam up, uh, if somebody had done something wrong to me or done something they shouldn't have done, I would clam up and hope they would hope it would go away, you know, like ignore it and it would go away type, uh, model where now I, let's, Hey, wait, let's sit down. This, this is confusing me. I don't know why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Let's talk, you know, and I, I try to do that, you know, appreciative inquiry into it was like, well, please tell me your way of thinking about this because this is not how I would have thought about this. And so I am doing that much better in my own interactions that I do a lot of more, you know, immediate confrontation or corrective meetings, I guess you could say like, Hey, this is not what I expected. This is not, you know, 
where before I would let it go on mm-hmm. and hope it fixed mm-hmm. itself. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. And I think that for me, I'll share briefly here is when I was leading team, I remember when I switched, I called a curious mindset. Like, what? Why did that happen? You know, and it's the same thing we're talking about here. Because I used to come in and be like, well, I would try to tell them how to correct it. But until you actually know why their perspective on it, you're not correcting anything as a leader. Mm -hmm. You're just frustrating yourself and burning yourself out. And then you might get rid of a team member that could be excellent. It was always asking the why. It's like, why did you do that? Can you help me understand? But it took a different mindset. And so I've been like, why did you do that? Tell me. Because it's like, right. no one's going to tell you the truth there. They're just going to run and shut down. Um, so it's something that I'm always fascinated by. So I'm glad that you're doing that out in the world as well, Gene. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I want to say thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to impart on the audience that's listening to this about what you do? Or do you feel like we've really covered it? Um, I don't know. I think, you know, recommendation to other people out there doing or thinking about doing stuff like this is I feel like you have to do it. You have to be, if you're, if you're the leader of this, if you're, if it's a, you know, um, if you're trying to do a life mastery curriculum of your own, you have to be the practicer. You know, you have to do it yourself. Um, and more than that, the people that are running the program have to always want to be getting better and improving themselves. You know, that that growth mindset. They Those people that are heading this up need to have a growth mindset. If they don't have a growth mindset, you're, you have to pick somebody different. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the key factors in this type of thought process because it is, it's a continual learning process and it can be a very aggravating and because things change, you know, everybody's different. Every single person, every interaction we have is the very first interaction we've ever had. And we're, we're making judgments based on past experiences that are nothing like this experience. And, you know, I think when, when people, you know, people think we're creatures of habit and to some extent we are, but the reality is every interaction we have with another human being has never happened before. So when the other person does something you didn't expect, well, that's to be expected because it's the very first time it's ever happening in the history of the world. You know, so we think we have history to go off of, but we really don't. And I think that mindset needs to be there. You know, is that, oh, it's another new thing to learn. Mm-hmm. And you have to have the people that are willing to learn those new things leading this charge, you know, being there. And, you know, you can have people deliver the curriculum that don't have a necessary necessarily have a growth mindset, but the people leading the charge and creating this, the buy-in and the vision for it have to have that growth mindset for always getting better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I personally think they make the best leaders too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Gene. It's You're been welcome. such a pleasure. Thank you here very much. You.